Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 17, 18. We're going to start there, and then we're going to look at some other scriptures, of course, but we'll start there. But let's pray first. Father, I thank you for strength in my throat, my voice. I thank you, Lord, that not only physically, but Lord God, by the help of the Holy Spirit, you'd help me to speak only your words today, God. Your words that bring freedom, your words that bring truth, your words that bring life to all of us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Lord. And give us ears to hear, Lord, what your word is saying to us personally, specifically. God, give us us an anointing and, Lord, the help of the Holy Spirit to apply it to where we are today and right now in every situation, Lord. That, Lord, the name of Jesus, Yeshua, will be glorified through us, with us, in us, Lord, for your purposes, Lord. We pray it, Lord. In the name of Jesus, Yeshua, amen. Amen. 1 Thessalonians 2, 17 and 18, Paul was writing to the uh, uh, believers at Thessalonica. They were called Thessalonians. And he says this in verse 17, We, meaning Paul and those that he traveled with, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence but not in heart, we endeavored more eagerly to see your face with a great desire. Now, in other words, they had been with them, they left them, They were trying to get back to him. They eagerly desired to see them again. He said, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, not just the team, but I wanted to come with them time and again. But look at the last four words. But Satan hindered us. But Satan hindered us. And we know even as a child of God, doing the will of God with all of our heart, all of our strength, there are times that the, the enemy of our soul manifest in a way in an attack trying to hinder us okay jump back into this there there are times even when we're trying to do God's will we have an enemy anybody everybody figure that out we got an enemy and the Bible says your enemy is not people it may come through a human agency just like God's bringing his word to you through a human agency the kingdom of darkness works through human agency and so there is an enemy that is doing his best to hinder you. And some of you, or else God would not have put this word on my heart, I know I've been going through some spiritual battles. You say, Pastor, you? Yeah. Paul's saying, you're going to see in a minute, Paul, the great apostle Paul, even he himself went through some tremendous, horrific spiritual battles. And that's why we can listen to him because he is a man, a Christian of experience. Even though he lived almost 2,000 years ago, he is a man of experience that wrote over half the New Testament that knows the wiles, the strategies, the tricks of the enemy. And the devil has not changed his strategy today. He's trying to work on you the same stuff he tried to work on Paul. And Paul gives us answers how to overcome it. How many of you want answers how to overcome the attack that the enemy's working on you? Amen. So... And and even since the beginning of the year, or not just this year, but seasons, there have been words and prophetic words that we are in a time of of a new beginning and open doors and breakthroughs and all that. Amen? All those good, wonderful words. We love those words, don't we? But having you find out those words don't automatically just come to pass. It didn't happen. It gets prophesied today. It didn't happen tomorrow before you eat lunch today. Some of you are still waiting. Some of you are years down the road still waiting. Some of you are several years down the road still waiting for that word to come to pass. But every time God gives us a word or every time God has a a breakthrough for us, 
I want to remind you that every time God gives an open door, there is an enemy there trying to stop you before you can get through the open door. And there's sometimes that we even get through the open door and find that the devil's on the other side of the door. And he's there trying to hinder us from progressing any further. There is a devil. And I'm not here to magnify him today. I'm here to put him in his place. (laughs) So what do we do when we get a word from God? Or what do we do when we know, we've prayed through enough that we know what God's will is for our life and it's not happening? There's hindrances. We can't figure it out. We pray. We seek the Lord. Some of us get desperate enough, we'll even fast. You know, and that's not to change God's mind. That's just we're desperate. I've got to hear from God. I'm going to deny myself and fast a little bit to where I can fine-tune my spirit to where I can hear the Lord better. So what do you do when things come that hinder you from accomplishing or stepping in or achieving or walking into God's will and destiny for your life? That word that he said in verse 18, but Satan hindered us. That word hindered, it's the Greek word enkopto. And the meaning of encopto, it means to cut into the impeding of a person by breaking up the road or by placing obstacles or hindrances in the path of somebody. Now, some of you probably on your way to church this morning, somebody encoptoed you. They cut in front of you. Anybody have that happen to you this morning? They cut you off. They cut in front of you. And you go, where'd you get your driver's license? Why don't you use your turn signal? And you know, why didn't you let me know you're coming? We'd let you have the road. All those things that... I say to people, you would never say that. But they encoptoed you. How many of you need prayer for being encoptoed this morning, that you're still caring? Lord, just bless those person that cut us off. I'm serious. Bless them that cut me off, that made me mad, that just thought they were so important. They had to get one more car in front of everybody else. And Do you ever talk to them like that? Sylvia so says, they can't hear you. I said, but it makes me feel better. And she said, don't you dare roll your window down. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. You get shot nowadays. Encopto, it means to cut into, to impede the progress of somebody, to place an obstacle in the path of somebody. You stop them, you hinder them from achieving or arriving at their destination or their goal. And the use of that in 1 Thessalonians 2.18, it's talking about, Paul's talking about my progress in my Christian life to come see you once again. It was hindered by who? Satan. How could Satan have an authority like that over the great apostle Paul? And so we, we see that it describes the person who's made their plans, they have their destination for their way all mapped out, and they run into encopto. And it's the way of that road, it's so deteriorated, it becomes impassable, so bumpy or bad that the trip either has to be canceled or a detour has to be found. We just experienced that on vacation. We were in the area of North Carolina, Blowing Rock in Boone, North Carolina. Don't know if you've ever been there. Very mountainous. And they had more rain than we had here last week. And it caused a rock mudslide, which not only covered the road, but tore the road up. Once they got it clear, the road was impassable, and it was impossible, and so they had a detour. We, we weren't necessarily going to where that road would take you to, but the signs posted said detour, uh, residents only allowed to a certain point. You could not get through to it to reach the destination anymore. That's in Copto. It's the road that you needed to get to your destination, but you've hit an impasse. You can't, you can't go. Some of you that travel, that fly or travel, you bought your ticket. You're standing in line at the ticket counter, and all of a sudden it comes up across the board at the airport. Trip, flight, canceled. 
So you're thinking real quick and you get on your phone or your iPad or you run to the, to the, to the whatever airline desk and you say, hey, hey, my flight's canceled. I need another flight going out. And you get the news, there are no more flights going to that city today. Some of you have had that happen. We had that happen one of our trips to Cameroon. We, were, we, we used to have to go through Charles de Gaulle, and that's not a good experience or easy experience. And so flights were delayed. It's a large airport. Flights were delayed. And we were rerouted to Ghana. Africa. Now, no offense to Ghana. If you're, there are some people in the congregation from Ghana. We love Ghana. We love you. But we did not have a good experience in the airport there. Okay. So we got to the airport there in Ghana, and the plane that we were trying to connect with, it was still there. It was on the runway. But they said, sorry, the doors are closed. We say, but the plane is still here. Yes, but the door is closed. I said, but the plane is still here, and we need to get to Cameroon today because the conference with us teaching, and it starts tomorrow. And they repeated, but the door is closed. I said, I understand it, but the plane is still here. So just open the door and let us on the plane. And whether our luggage makes it or not, we can suffer for two days, and, and we just need to get there. We're said, they said, we're sorry, the door is closed. What part of the English we speak do you not understand? I said, I understand what you're saying. They said, we will put you up in the hotel for the tonight free, and we'll rebook you on a flight tomorrow. I said, I appreciate that. Your country's wonderful, lovely. You're very accommodating, but we have to get there today. They said, we're sorry. It's closed. And Copto hindered us. We said, what are our options? Well, they said, you can spend the night in the hotel, and we'll pay for it, and we'll pay for your food, and we'll book you in the first flight tomorrow. I said, that's it. The door is closed. So we had to pay $800 for another airline and another flight to get there that day to do it. But as far as that, through that airline, through that time, our destination was in Copto, a hindrance. And that may be describing your life today in several areas. You may have a health issue. That all of a sudden, you know, you had a little pain here, you had a little discomfort here, and when you went to the doctor, you didn't get a good report from the doctor. The doctor said, well, how long have you been experiencing this? Oh, well, yeah, yeah. You know, about if we're a man, we'll say, oh, it's been going on about eight or nine months, or a year, or a year and a half. Well, why didn't you come sooner? Well, I just thought it'd go away. We, we just man it, you know. I thought it'd just go, I thought it'd stop hurting. Now, guys, you know you do this. We do this. I thought it'd just go away. Well, why didn't you come sooner? Well, I just thought it'd go away. Do you know what you have? No. And they give you a very bad report. You go, oh, that's serious. And the doctor said, yeah, you're going to have to start taking this medication or this treatment. And you may be here. You may be that kind of person. You have health issues that have caused your life plans to be altered, encoptoed, stopped. You may have had big plans. And you may have had big ideas and, and a great outlook. And, and you, now you're not even able to work. You may be on disability. Thank God for that, that you're able to do that. But what happens is you feel benched. You feel you just got pulled out of the game of life, and now you're sitting as a spectator watching everybody else. You may be here today. You may be watching and feel that, have had that happen in your life. You may have had plans for a wonderful family. But something's happened, something's encoptoed and hindered, and you've had, you've had the death of a spouse, a husband, a wife, or you've had the death of a child, or you've had the death of a significant other in your life, and it has encoptoed your life. It has come in, and it's hindered. And, and now you're trying to figure out who you are with the loss of that loved one in your life, trying to put your life back together. Some of you may have had the perfect ideal dream job, 
if you're blessed enough to do that. You may have had the job that you've always dreamed about and, and wanted, and, and all of a sudden you're being replaced by somebody that they're going to pay them less than they pay you, and you're much smarter than they are and understand how it goes, but you're being replaced. And copto, something's come into your life and hindered you. Now, what do, what do we do? Initially, hopefully when we recover from the, re, the trauma of it, our response is to be the size of the situation up and begin to take another road. But this is where the enemy moves in and tries to encompto you to try to hinder you and stop you. And we're going to see from the life of Paul from this one experience in Acts 27 and 28 what happened to Paul. Actually, Paul's entire life. Here's good news for you, comforting news for you. The great apostle Paul, his entire life was one of a battle and warfare. That's why it's so important we read about his life. We read about the strategy he has to share with us as God's people, as believers, because he knew what it was to have to fight the devil hand-to-hand, face-to-face combat, and end up successful and victorious, praise God. So we've got a lot to learn from Paul's life. But what do we do in 2018 when the enemy comes in and is trying to hinder us and cause that incompto? The second usage of that word incompto, it means this for hindered. It describes an athletic contest, a race, a foot race, where the runner, he's exercised, he's trained, he's got his wind right, he's got, his, he's got everything going right, and he's winning the race. He's out in front of everybody. He's in the lane. He's got running his best race he ever has. He feels good. And suddenly, another runner catches up to him and literally takes his elbow and elbows him and knocks him out of the race and knocks him down and knocks him out of the lane. And he falls and goes sprawling across the cinder track. And he's out of the race, causing him to lose his league position. That's the word in copto that Paul is using here. He's saying, I was running a good race. I am trying to do good, the the will of God and something good. And the devil is trying to hinder me. I'm trying to come to you in Thessalonica and visit you, but the enemy is trying to hinder me. Anybody had this kind of experience in your life? The devil's trying to hinder you. You know it's him. You know it's not a bad decision you make. The enemy's trying to hinder you. So Paul uses this word, and he uses this word to describe himself. And what amazes me in reading it, this is the apostle Paul. This is the one that can kick devil behind every day. Hello. And it happens to him, which gives me, I'm not glad it happened to him, but it it lets me know that even though it happened to him, it is going to happen to you and me. And Paul shares his experience with us to let us all know that we're all subject to those wiles, tactics, methods, strategies of the enemy to hinder us from fulfilling God's goals for our life. So, you know, I know there's people here today that this is going on. It's happening in my life, trying to, the enemy's trying to do it, and I know it's happening in your life because the Lord's put this on my heart to bring to you today because some of you need to understand what the enemy's trying to do and how to have a breakthrough and how to shake off this attack because that's what we have to learn to do. What do you do when you've had this happen to you? What do you do when you feel like you've been elbowed out of the race, out of the, out of the race that you were running to do the Lord's will and find God's will for your life, and you feel like you've been in a shipwreck and everything you've got, finances, marriage, family, future, present health issues, it's all been touched and messed up by the enemy. How do we respond to that? We see the answer in Acts chapter 27. We pick it up. 
And just a, a, pre, a little prelim before Acts 27, Paul had been preaching the gospel, simply preaching the gospel all through Israel to the Jewish people, to the Gentile people. He got in trouble with the Jewish people. They were trying to kill him. Uh, he got in a mob scene. And they, uh, they, the Romans had to intervene to rescue him. Else the crowd would have killed Paul. So he's arrested and he's questioned. And they're trying to, the Jews are trying to trick Paul. They're trying to trap Paul. They're telling the, the emperor, the, not the emperor, they're telling the religious leaders, you know, we, we, we want to we interrogate Paul. So if you'd bring him to a certain place where we can have this interrogation, we just want to find out what he really believes. And the whole time they were planning, when they on the way to bring him here, they're going to kill him. There was a band of men that took an oath, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they took an oath, will not eat and will not do anything until we kill him. And the Roman soldiers, the Roman government heard about it, found out about it through Paul's nephew, and, and so the Roman government intervened. So that's where it is right now. And Paul comes before this tribunal, and they're asking him all kinds of questions. They said, this guy's done nothing wrong, but the Jews aren't satisfied with his answers, and they're wanting to kill him. And Paul said, I'm a Roman soldier. He said, I appeal to Caesar. You remember that story? Y'all read your Bible? You read your iPad? You read your phone? You read your Bible? Paul said, I, I appeal to Caesar. Once Paul said that as a Roman citizen, he had that right as a Roman citizen. So we find Paul on his way in Acts 27 in a ship on his way to Rome. And what a two weeks they had. It's the story of his shipwreck and the story of the adventure, what happened, but how the Lord brought him through. But before we look at that, I want to go back in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, when Paul, who was first known as Saul, the son of Benjamin, of the tribe of Benjamin, he, he was persecuting believers, the followers of Christ, and he was on his way to Damascus to do that, to get him, put him in jail, to persecute him, and he had his conversion experience, where he cried out when the Lord knocked him, whatever he was riding, people say a horse, but most of them rode donkeys then, so anyway, whatever he was riding. Knocked him off, knocked him blind, and Paul said, you know, uh, Jesus spoke to him, the voice of the Lord spoke to him, said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And uh, Saul had a revelation, had an had a encounter with the Lord that day, and he said, Lord, what would you have me to do? He ends up in the city of Damascus. The Holy Spirit speaks to a follower, a disciple, just an everyday believer like you and me of Jesus Christ. His name was Ananias, and the Holy Spirit says, Ananias, go to where Saul is. And say these words to him. And Ananias, like probably most of us, said, Lord, are you sure you want me to go? This is the guy that's sent here to kill us. He's killed, imprisoned, harassed, and persecuted us. And you're wanting me to go do what? I want you to go and tell him these words. And here's the words that the Lord gave to Ananias to tell Saul, who became Paul. Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. And then we see in later years in Paul's life, as he's had several years of ministry uh, experience, we see in Acts 23, 11, that Paul is in, in the middle of another tough situation. I told you he was constantly in tough situations uh, because he was faithful to God. And, uh, you know, being in the will of God doesn't mean you have an easy life. Uh, see, as Americans, we say, well, why do you have to say that? I, I like it easy. Listen, when you're in the will of God, it's not always easy. That's why I learned to pray, God, I don't ever want to get out of your will because being in your will is hard enough sometimes. But here Paul's in trouble again. He's, he's, he's being persecuted again. In Acts 23, 11, 
It says, but the following night, the Lord stood by Paul. People were against him. They were against his message of Jesus. You know, all, let, let's just establish this. All Paul was doing was trying to fulfill the call of God on his life and preach the gospel and see people saved, delivered, set free, filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's all he was doing. That's what his life was consumed with doing. But people opposed him. Just like people are going to oppose you and me for just trying to tell them about Jesus and us living for Jesus. They're going to oppose us. I just read my Bible this week, but Jesus said, if they didn't like me or hated me, they're going to hate you. Oh, God, I wish that wasn't in the Bible. I want people to like me. Some will. A lot won't. A lot won't like you simply because you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you stand for what's right. And the darkness in them doesn't like the light that's in you. So just get used to it. Amen. Pastor, that's good. Amen. It's true. It's all true, as one man said. But the following night, the Lord stood by Paul and said, the Lord himself stood by Paul and said, Paul, be of good cheer. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, he was faithful to do that, so you must also bear witness in Rome. Now, Ananias in Acts 9, his, just when he got saved, said, you are, the word of the Lord to you is that you are going to bear my name, the name of Yeshua Jesus, before Gentiles, kings, and all of the children of Israel. And then later on in his life, when he's in a tough time and people are opposing the message of the gospel, the Lord himself speaks to Paul. The Lord himself, he didn't send somebody this time. The Lord himself spoke to Paul through the Holy Spirit and said, Paul, just be of good cheer, be happy, just rejoice. Because Paul, just as you have been faithful to me, Testify me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness in Rome. All right? Then we come to Acts chapter 27, the journey. The journey to Rome begins with Paul and others as prisoners under Roman guard because the Jews were trying to kill him, and he'd appealed to Caesar. The typical sailing in the Mediterranean Sea at that time of the year, September, October, was horrendous. We have people in the Navy, in the Army. We have people here in the military that have been in the water uh, portion of that and uh, who've sailed in rough seas. And we remember Jack Frost, his stories about shipwreck and that fishing off Myrtle Beach and all that. But September and October, winter months, the water is tough. It's rough in most places. That's how it was in the Mediterranean. Uh, verses 10 and 11 said, Paul perceives by the Holy Spirit that it was a dangerous time of year to set sail and accomplish this mission to go to Rome. And he said, he's, as a matter of fact, he warned him, he said, this voyage is going to end in disaster and much lo loss of lives as well as cargo if we proceed. But the Roman centurion, the guard, the Roman soldier, was persuaded by the owner of the ship and overrode Paul's warning. We see in Acts 13 and 14, as they proceeded, as they ignored Paul and thought, well, these are sailors, these are men of experience, we'll take their word for it other than the child of God. So as they proceeded, they encountered a tempestuous headwind called Eurocladon. Now, you may pronounce it differently, but it's uh, the word Euro and Clyden. And that word means, Eurocladon, it means a southeast wind that stirs up broad waves. We have one of those by the name of Alberto attacking the Gulf Coast as we speak this weekend. It is a southwest wind attacking all of Florida, and we don't know what the outcome is going to be. But this storm was called Eurocladon because it came out of Europe. E-U-R-O from Europe. 
Clyden, Eurocladin, it would drop out of Europe, affect the Mediterranean, bring that southeast wind. It was a tempestuous wind. It was like a hurricane wind. Some people described it as one of the worst nor'easter type storms that could happen. It was the most feared storm of all the serious storms in the Mediterranean. Very few sailors that went out during the storm ever escaped it. And here they are trying to do this. Paul's on his way to appear, and you're going to hear me say it over and over again because you've got to get this. Paul is on his way to appear before Caesar to do nothing more than to fulfill the prophetic word that God had over him. You will appear before Caesar and preach the gospel. That's all Paul had in his mind, in his heart. That's all Paul wanted to do because Paul was single-minded, and he faced, in doing that, he was facing the worst storm in his life that he'd ever been in. The story, verses 16 through 20 said the storm was so horrific that they sailed this way and they sailed that way. They were blown about by the winds. It was uncontrollable. They could not guide the ship properly. They ended up throwing all the cargo overboard in order to lighten the ship so that they could maneuver it better. They ended up, that didn't, wasn't enough. They ended up throwing the tackle, all the block and tackle that did the sails, hoisted the sails. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all ever played in the backyard and done all that stuff and played... Sailor man and sailor girl or whatever. They hoisted all the sailors, you know, with sailboats. They threw even all the tackle overboard. What happened when they did that? They had very little control over that ship. But the wind was so horrific that they could not even now guide the ship fully. And it says, after many days of neither sun nor the moon or the stars appearing and the storm not lessening but getting worse. Now, we have hurricanes in this area, you know, a day or two, and it blows over, it destroys, we clean the yard up, or we repair the house, or whatever happens. It was many days, and it wasn't getting any better, it was getting worse. All hope, listen to this, these are some of the most startling words I find in Scripture. All hope that they would be saved was finally given up. They had no Coast Guard to call on. There was no helicopter, there was no big ship to come out there and rescue these guys. All hope of them being saved was given up. And in verses 21 through 26, it says, After a long abstinence from food, which we call it fasting, but this was not a voluntary fasting. This was a, this was a fast that they were almost forced to take because you don't want to eat when you're seasick. That's the last thing you want to think about is food. I mean, even saltine crackers won't help at this point. So after a long abstinence of food, Paul stood in the midst of them, and he said, Men, you should have listened to me. In other words, he said, I told you so. He said, Men, you should have listened to me and not sailed from Crete and incurred this disaster and loss. And now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among us, but only of the ship. For there stood by me this night an angel of the God whom I serve and whom I belong to, saying, Do not fear, Paul. Listen to this. You must be brought before Caesar. I mean, how good is God to come to you in a time of storm and bring a word to you that you've already heard, but it's like the devil's tried to steal it, the devil's tried to snatch it away. You've forgotten it. It's like you don't even think it was really God's word because so much has happened, and it just feels like, you know, that was just somebody saying something. That was just them trying to, trying to be a prophet or a prophetess, and, and, you know, nothing's happened. But here again, the word of the Lord comes to him said, Paul, be, don't be afraid. Chill out. Calm down. Be at peace. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. You know, when you and I are a child of God, you're going to end up in a storm. 
there's no way out of it. Life is made up of storms. It can be a health storm, a financial storm, a marital storm, a whatever storm. There are storms, various storms. God allows you and I as God's people to be put into storms. I didn't say God made you go through it. I didn't say God did it to you. I said there's times God allows you to go into a storm because the, the world and people around you need to see a child of God go through a storm and continue to believe God and allow the word of God to be fulfilled in your life because they need to know that there's hope that there is a God that hears and answers prayer even through the storms of life. So don't cuss your storm. Don't be rebuking the devil. Sometimes it is the devil. But a lot of times it's God letting you go through a storm so that people around you to see what a real Christian acts like during a, during a storm. I just read this in the scripture. Sad story. David stayed home from war. While his men were out fighting, David's walking the rooftop looking down, sees Bathsheba. Takes her. Has adultery with her. She sends word back, I'm pregnant. David schemes. I'll get her husband home, get him drunk, send him home. They'll do the natural thing. It'll be their baby. Whew. I'll be clear. Uriah is such a man of integrity, he won't leave the king's door. He won't go home to his wife. He won't enjoy the privileges. He said, how can I do that when my other brothers, my other men, they're out fighting. I can't do that. So David plots and schemes and says, well, has Abner just put him in the front line of the battle and when he's in the front line of battle, withdraw the troops and make sure he gets killed. When Nathan came to David, Nathan said, you not only stole the poor man's one lamb, but you had the man killed. And the last piece of that scripture, it says, and what David did displeased the Lord. And Nathan the prophet said, David, what you did was a sin, adultery. What you did was a sin, the murder, the covering it up, the lying for a year. But David, the worst thing that you did, all the other pagan heathen nations know that you're the king of Israel. Know that you're a man after God's own heart. Know that you're a godly man. Know that you're a strong believer. And what you've done has brought disrespect to the Lord. It's bad enough what he did to the woman in chambers. It's bad enough what he did to her husband and had him, had him killed. It's bad enough that the child died. Innocent baby died. But the worst part of it, he said, David, you brought disrespect to the Lord. When you and I get into test, no, God, help me and help you. When you and I get into test, it's not because God's picking on you. It's not because you've done something wrong. It's because God is using, and, want, and I mean using, I don't say abusing, but he's wanting to let you be an example of his power to keep you through the storm so the world can see that there is a God that is real, that hears and answers prayer and blesses people. So our attitude through the storm, and Paul had that attitude. And Paul gained the respect of those other people where once they didn't listen to him, say, ah, you're just a preacher. <laughs> yeah, you're just a Christian. Uh, you're on your way to, to Rome. You're in trouble, man. Why would we listen to you? We're sailors. We're soldiers. <laughs> but now they listen to him. Regardless of what you and I fear and what we see, you and you, not only Paul, but you and I sitting in this room or listening, live streaming or listening another time. Every one of us, no matter what your age is, no matter how young, no matter how old you are, Every one of us has a destiny 
in God that only you can fulfill it. You see, the devil's got some of us believing, ah, I'm just going to live my life. I'm just going to work this job. I'm just going to punch my number. I'm just going to punch my time clock and get in, serve my time, retire, you know, have a good time, and then I'll be off the planet Earth. I'm not trying to be mean to you today, but that is an insult to your creator. He has a destiny for you. And you, you need to be careful to find out and seek God what your destiny is. And do everything in your ability to move into that destiny. And as you're doing it, I warn you, you're going to find Encopto coming. You're going to find Satan coming to try to steal, cheat you out of your destiny. Because you fulfilling your destiny will bring glory to your father, your creator. And what you and I have got to make up our mind is like Paul made up his mind. I will not be cheated. I will not be sidetracked. I'll not be detoured. I'll not let incopto happen to me to where I'm hindered by the devil or anything else that's going on. Paul had absolutely no idea what he'd encounter in that trip, that, that voyage. But he's now received the word of the Lord at least a third time about how God was going to be with him, go with him, bring him through to the completion of what the Lord had spoken was the destiny of life. You're not only going to speak to the Jewish people, the nations. You're not only going to speak to the Gentiles. You're going to speak to kings. You're going to speak to rulers. There was no greater ruler than Caesar of Rome. He was it. He was the top, top one of the whole known world at that time. And actually, Paul was going to be the Paul would be the first human being that spoke the gospel to Caesar. We see in Paul's writings, Paul won a lot of Caesar's house to the Lord. When you read the scriptures, you see that. He had no idea what he was going to go through. And Paul received that word, Paul, be at peace, because you must be brought before Caesar. Paul received that word on the fourth night of this voyage. Now, Paul didn't know it. We know it because we look back and we read back. They had six more days to go. No, I'm sorry. They had, they had ten more days to go. They didn't know that. We know it because we look back. He would only received that word the fourth night that they were in the storm. They had ten more days to go before they saw any hope of an answer. How impatient I am. I don't know about you. I'm going to pick on me. How impatient I am when God doesn't answer quickly. Fourth night. The Lord spoke to him, reaffirmed, you're going you're to peel before Caesar. You're going to be okay. You're going to make it. Ten more days. Ten more days. I'd been pitching a fit. How about you? I'd been pitching a fit. God, you just told me. How come? Where is it? How, when's it gonna why does it take so long, Lord? When are you going to do this? I know I'm the only one in the room that ever feels that way, so pray for me. But in that, in that 14 days with the whole voyage, no eating, no real sleeping, how do you sleep when any moment the ship's going to go on and you're going to die? How do you sleep? Seasick, scared to death. They were, they were fighting for their lives, but yet Paul received this word, and he was probably the only one on that ship that was at peace. And then we see in verses 27 through 44, the 14th night came. They sensed that they were near land. Sailors have that ability and the way things are going. And so they sounded, meaning they put a depth thing, you know, a line in the water to see how deep it was. And uh, less, that's because they were afraid they were going to run aground, run into rocks, and then the ship be torn up and then die. So they dropped the anchors, and it's, it's, it tells us there was four anchors. They dropped the anchors, up, lest they would come upon, sail upon the rocks. They anchored until daybreak. 
when they could tell what the land was where they were and assess the situation. Paul, it says, encouraged them to take food after 14 days, two weeks of not eating. Say, well, we fasted 21 days. Yeah, but you weren't in the middle of a storm, scared to death you were going to die. He spoke over them. Paul spoke over them to take food and be encouraged because he said, not one hair of your head is going to be lost. Not one hair. He gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. You got to realize these were pagan people. These were Roman soldiers. These were other prisoners. These were sailors. Now, I'm not just, you know, some of you that were in military, not all of you were saved when you were in military. And you know the kind of life that sailors can live. They got a reputation. Not all of them. Some of them are saved. I realize that. But Paul gives thanks to the Lord in front of all these 275 people on this boat. You know, by then, Paul had some respect among them. Because what he said was starting to come true. Then they came. They didn't recognize the land. But they saw the bay that would be a good place to head the ship into. They saw that this is what we're looking for. A place to ram the ship into. And, and, and we can uh, have a safe uh, a voyage here. The ending of the voyage. And so they, they discussed what, we should do, what they should do. They decided to go for it. Head the ship into this harbor. It looked like clear sailing. But those of you that read the story, you know what happened. The ship ran aground. Where the front end became stuck and the back part of the ship, the stern, was being broken up, beat up, torn up by the violence of the waves beating against us. It's like, what else can go wrong? After almost two weeks of dying out here, not knowing where we are, starving to death because we're too sick, seasick to even eat, fearing that at any moment, you know, this storm is going to sink us and we're going to drown. Drowning would be horrible. And then looking like they've got a, a resolution and a happy ending. If we can just head the boat this way, we can harbor this thing, and it'll be over. But the ship ran aground. The front end of it stuck, and the stern was being beaten, broken up by, the, by the, the waves battering against us. And here Paul, he's just on the boat thinking, my only desire is to get to Rome to preach the gospel to Caesar and other people and fulfill God's destiny in my life. I didn't sign up for all this. How many of you feel that sometimes? I didn't sign up for all this trouble, this storm I'm going through. The soldiers planned to kill the prisoners lest they escape, but the centurion, the leader, by now he'd realized, Paul, we don't need to kill him. He's the only one that's got their act together that knows what's going on. So to save Paul, he kept the, 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 the people from killing all of the other uh, uh, prisoners on the boat. And so the centurion commanded them, jump overboard, grab the pieces of the boat, and dog paddle, whatever you got to do to get to shore. So that's how they escaped to land. Now, what a two-week period they had just experienced. Some of you in this room know what it's like to be in bad weather and stuck and wonder, am I going to make it back in? There was a time me and my friend skipped high school, served us right. We skipped high school class, and his parents had a sailboat, a Lake Lanier, and we went out there. And I didn't know anything about sailing other than a sailboat operated by a sail and a rudder. And we got out there a couple of times. We did it more than once. We skipped school more than once. We got out there a couple of times. But there are some times that a storm came up, and I don't know what I'm doing, and he didn't know much of what to do other than what he saw his dad do. And it was like, God, if you'll get me back, I'll never go on a sailboat again. Well, I did go since I've been here with somebody that knew what they were doing. But what a two-week period these people had just experienced. They lost all the, all the cargo, which meant all the money, the financial. 
They, they lost all the tackle of the ship. The ship was useless. I mean, it was being beat up. But it wasn't over yet. What else? We, we go into chapter 28. They all swam or dog paddled ashore to save their lives. What does faith do when it's experienced a shipwreck? Faith swims. You do what you got to do. That's not the time to have some kind of theological argument or debate. Why am I going through what I'm going through? Did I sin? Did I do something wrong? Did somebody on the ship do something wrong? Is there a Jonah among us or what's going on? This is not the time. Faith just swims. When you're in a shipwreck, faith just swims. Paul could have cried out, I just don't understand what's happening to me, Lord. You know, I'm just trying to do your will, and all this bad stuff keeps happening to me. This incopto is here trying to hinder me from doing your will. Lord, what's going on? Anybody ever feel that way in this room today? What is going on? What have I done wrong? Why is all this happening to me? When's it going to stop? That's the real question. When's it going to stop? How long is it going to last? How bad is it going to get? Don't ask those questions. You might get an answer. Paul said, you know, I'm going to die and I'm never going to fulfill my destiny. But he had a word from the Lord. And they escaped and said to the island of Malta. I mean, it was bad enough. But then they find out the island of Malta. They go, oh, no, this is the place that it's inhabited by the barbaric people. They kill people for coming on their island uninvited. And here we are uninvited and we're just on their island. These people are going to kill us. What else can go wrong? What a bad two-week vacation. They just arrived and on an island of historically unfriendly people, but God had other plans in mind. It says that these natives of this island treated them with unusual kindness. They built a fire. They started a fire for them, and they made them all welcome. But in that fire, in this time of the fire, it was now, it was well into October, it was cold and it was raining. Has anybody in this room gotten rained on? In a fall and an autumn storm, and you're caught outside, and you're soaking wet. They say wet to the bone, and it's bad weather, and it's cold weather, and you become chilled to the bone. Anybody ever been? I've been that way. Gotten caught out in some weather, and I should have known better and got caught out. Got wet, cold, takes you, you know, you, you stick your hand almost in the flame of the fire trying to get warm up, warmed up. But the islanders, they started a fire for them. They made them welcome. But it's raining, it's cold, it's winter. You know, they look back at the ship. It's just being beaten to death and torn up. Everything they owned, everything they had. The only thing they had was the clothes on their back. Everything else, his passport, his books, all their clothes, all their belongings, it's gone. Paul could have just whined and griped. And if he'd been a believer like so many are today, just would have criticized God, would have probably quit, probably would have walked out on God, said, I just can't take anymore. This is too hard. It's just too much. And, and it's raining, and, and how many bad days can a person take? You know, anybody in the room feel that way today? It would be hard for this day to get worse. It would be hard for this season in his life to get worse. He's fought the sea, sick, sea sickness for 14 days, fighting for hunger, fighting for their very life. Uh, everything they had was gone. It's now raining colder on an island that these people could turn on them at any moment and kill them. What a life and adventure. What does faith do when it's shipwrecked? Faith swims. What does faith do when it's cold? Faith builds a fire. 
We see in verse 3 of Acts 28, as they gathered sticks to be laid on the fire, Paul was a team player. He wasn't there laying on the beach. Oh, I just barely made it by the skin of my teeth. Somebody come and give me some dry clothes. And somebody come bring me a hair dryer. And somebody come, somebody come bring me an electric blanket. You know, and somebody come help me. No, Paul was up. He was out trying to help everybody else. He was a servant. He was up gathering wood. And out of that wood, when, that, when he gathered that, that bundle of wood, out of it, a viper attached itself to his hand. And it says, the Greek says, the viper's fang sunk so deep into Paul that it couldn't let itself go. You know, a poisonous snake, they're, they're a nervous snake. Poisonous snakes are nervous snakes. Therefore, they strike. And when they strike, they strike and they let go. And as they strike, that pressure, you know, and all that stuff, that gizmo that's in their head, all that stuff, it, it, that's what ejects the venom. This snake struck with such a force in Paul, it could not let go of Paul. It wasn't a chewing snake. It was a viper, one of the most deadly of the snakes. And it says it attached itself. It hooked itself. I know I'm freaking some of you out. <laughs> Believe me, this ain't real snake. This boy ain't going to be handling no real snake. And let me go on record. Wow does not handle snakes. We are not snake handlers. This is a rubber snake. <laughs> Only purely for demonstration purposes. This boy does not handle snakes. I kill snakes if I see snakes. I'm sorry. I'm of the, I'm of the opinion every, the only good snake is a dead one. If it's in my yard, the only good one's a dead one. I'm sorry if you pet them, sleep with them, have them in your bedroom and crawl around. I, don't ask me over to your house. But that viper attached itself with such a force under Paul's hand that he could not get loose from it. You know, really, how much worse can this day get? How much worse can it get? The natives saw this viper, and they deduced, well, Paul, he must be the worst of the criminals on the boat. He said he escaped the sea, but justice is catching up with him, and he's going to die from the bite of the serpent. And then when they looked at him, and, he, and he, didn't, he didn't drop dead, they said, they changed their mind. He's not a criminal. He must be a god. That's how, that's how religious people are. They're fickle. They can't figure it out. Paul, now, I realize you could possibly be in trouble today and going through a hardship, a storm, and all this stuff. You could possibly go, be going through this today because you've made some bad choices. You've made some choices. You violated God's will. You, you made some selfish choices, some unbiblical choices. You could possibly be in trouble today because of that. But here's the answer for that. 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, if we agree with God that we have blown it, we've missed Him, we've violated His will, we've stepped out of His will, we're not in His will, if we will confess, admit that with God, agree with God is what it actually means. God, He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if you're here today and you're in trouble because you've made some wrong, bad, poor, unbiblical choices, you can fix that. That's an easy fix. 1 John 1, 9, confess it, agree with God, and he forgives. He's already provided for that on the cross. But you could also be right smack dab in the middle of God's will and going through the worst storm in your life that you've ever gone through. And it doesn't mean you've missed it. It doesn't mean that God's targeted you. It means that you have an enemy that is trying to steal 
your destiny. You have an enemy that's trying to set up an encopto to try to hinder you from getting to where God wants you to be. We look at Paul's life and that, that, listen, his whole life was one of battle, warfare, because he was so intense to bring the gospel to people. And when you and I make up our mind, listen, this is just, this is just dad talking to you this morning. When you make up your mind to live right and live for God, the devil is going to launch everything he has against you. That's not good news, but it's the truth. He's going to attack your marriage. When you don't have fights, you're going to have fights. And I'm, this is not prophecy over you. This is not negative prophecy over you. People that don't fight, when you start trying to do something for God, all of a sudden you start disagreeing. All of a sudden you start getting mad. Said, and you wonder, why am, I, why am I so mad at him? I'm not usually this way. There's an enemy behind that. But you, have, you and I have a choice when the enemy attacks to either believe the lie of the enemy or to believe the promise of God. But I'm telling you, whenever you... And see, some Christians, this, this infuriates me because this is the devil trying to get us to compromise. And that's another way that he steals our destiny. The devil tells some of us, well, if you just didn't press in and pray so much and worship so much and weren't so intense on doing God's will, it wouldn't be so hard on you. So why don't you just back off? Why don't you just go to church? Why don't you just show up? Why don't you just pay your tithe? Or, or, or why don't you just tip God? Don't tithe. Why don't you just tip God and just kind of play at it? What, don't, don't volunteer for any ministry, but just show up and want everybody to serve you. And see, the devil wants us to compromise. He's always after you to compromise. What is he doing? He is after your destiny. And you and I, I'm telling you folks, if I've ever believed it in my life, because I'm having to do this, you and I have to be, develop a warrior mentality in the time and the day that we're living in. And that's what Paul's life was all about. That's why he talks so much about it in Romans. That's why we're teaching on it on, on Wednesday night. Pastor Rush is touching on it in his study on the epistles in, on Wednesday night. Paul was right in the middle of God's will for his life. The Lord spoke to him and said, Paul. Fear not, you will appear before Caesar, as I told you. Two other times, from the time when you were first saved, and I sent Ananias to you, when the time you were in trouble in Jerusalem, and they were about to kill you then, I said, don't, don't worry, Paul, be at peace. You must appear before kings and Gentiles and kings of the earth. He was right in the middle of God's will. It was just the devil was creating this incopto, this hindrance, trying to stop him from doing the will of God. So what did Paul do? He had that bundle of sticks, and out of that bundle of sticks, that viper grabbed a hold of him. You know, Paul, could have, Paul had some choices. Paul could have said, I'm tired. Two weeks out in that ocean. Two weeks of fighting, starving to death. Two weeks of wondering, we're all going to make it. The responsibility of everybody became on him because he was the only one carrying the, the spiritual responsibility for them all because they were all pagan. They didn't know Jesus. They were all scared. They were grown men crying. Then he gets to an island and the people there are notorious for killing people. He just wants a warm fire and he's the one that's got to get out there and gather sticks. You know, sometimes you get tired of carrying the load, don't you? Sometimes you get tired of being the one in your house that's doing the praying. Sometimes you get tired waiting on your husband to, when are you going to start having Bible study with me and taking your spiritual lead? I'm not picking on this, guys. But sometimes our wives are wondering, when are you going to wake up? And when are you going to lead this family spiritually? When? And you get tired. 
You get tired as a husband. You get tired as a husband fighting everything at work and fighting carnality and fighting carnal, worldly, greedy, selfish people at work. And then you come home and the kids don't appreciate anything that you're working your tail off to provide for them. And you come home and you get tired. Sometimes you get, some guys get so tired that they just walk away from it all and they quit and they give up. And Paul could have been one of those people. And when that snake got a hold of him, you know, he could have thought, he could have thought, he knew what that snake was. He wasn't, he wasn't ignorant of the situation of the, of the, of the uh, snake world or whatever it was. He wasn't ignorant. He could have said, you know what, this is an easy way out of all this. This is an easy way to check out of here. Paul, I, I, I believe with all my heart, all that they went through just that week, this was just, this was just a two-week period of his life. I believe at that moment, Paul could have said, you know what? Snake, do your thing to me. Let me drop dead right here on this island before I get there to, to Caesar and let me get there to Rome. And maybe, maybe Paul even had some kind of advanced warning through the Spirit. That's where I'm going to end my life. Maybe just do it here. Maybe just check out here. I think Paul had a decision to make. And in that decision that Paul made in gathering those sticks and serving all those other whining, crying people around that fire wanting somebody to help him and everything, Paul made a decision. The decision that Paul made and the decision that some of you and I need to make here, probably all of us and those listening too, need to make is Paul shook that snake off. That snake had so attached itself to him, it just wasn't, it just wasn't a little, Paul had, Paul had to, he had to get violent with that thing. Paul had, he had to sling that thing off. Everybody, nobody have a heart attack now, it's just a rubber snake. He's a $10 rubber snake online from Amazon. Listen, if you know me, it took me a long time to get to where I could even mess with this thing. When it came in the mail, I said, that's it. You can't, find, you can't find this in town. I had to order it online. And when it came in that little, I said, Sylvia so said, what's that? And I said, you don't want to know. <laughs> and I went in the garage and I took it out of its wrapper. I left it in the garage and I covered it up because I don't like it. It took me a long time to be able to do it. And for this thing to simulate its bite me, I said, oh, God, give me grace and favor in front of these people that I don't cry. And, <laughs> and I don't take a... But what do, you do when, what do you do when your faith gets snake bit? You shake it off. You shake it off. What do, you, what do you do? And listen, every one of us in this room, if you've lived for Jesus very long, you've been snake bit by people before. Somebody said something. Somebody, somebody innocently said something to you that hurt you because they didn't understand what you're going through. Or just people that intentionally, they knew what you were going through and they knew, they knew what would bother you and they said it. The devil used them to say it. They intentionally hurt you. You've been snake bit. I've been snake bit. If, if you serve God, if you, if you live in this life, you've been snake bit by people. You've been snake bit by, the, by Satan setting things up. And there's a lot of opportunities. And some people will even smile at you while they inject the poison into you. But I'm telling you, I close this morning, Pastor Lee will come. What do you do when you've lost it all in shipwreck and you've been bitten by a snake? You shake it off. And there's two options. 
Here's the two options. You may come up with more, but I'm going to give you there's two options when you've been going through what Paul went through. Shipwrecked, lost, in copto, hindrances of Satan, snake bit. you got two options. One is to get hurt and withdraw and just say, I'll never trust anybody again. I'll never open my heart. I'll never open my soul. I'll never believe again. I'll never love like that again because it hurts too bad. But remember the message I preached a few weeks ago. We have to love like we've never been hurt. It's the only way we can live as a child of God. If you live any other way, you're not living as a child of God. You've got to love people like you've never been hurt. Forgive. You say, well, that forget thing don't work. You're right. We never forget. Listen, if I could, if I could show on that screen whatever my mind runs on, 8-track, VHS, DVD, whatever's going on there and there now. If I could show I could take you back to things in my childhood. You could do it too. Of when people hurt you and things went wrong against you and, and things were trying to destroy. I, I could tell you a story. We've all got it. But what we have to do is make up our mind not to let that hurt, not to let that offense, not to let that stabbing of our heart, not to let that death, that loss, that divorce as ugly as it was, not to let whatever, our job, somebody at our job, our boss or a fellow worker, smile at us and stab us in the back and undercut us and steal our job from us. Or some business person who thought that, that acted like they were good buddies, they, 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 they stole your client from you. You can put a lot of things in there. You have to love like you'd never been hurt. And there's people that say, well, I just don't know if I continue to follow Jesus. I talk to people, and you maybe do all the time. I talk to people said, no, I don't go to church anymore. said, I love Jesus, but I can't take the Christians. We recently went out to eat somewhere, and the server grew up in this church. I said, how you doing? You could tell he's a little tense. He, stopped, he said, I- I'm going to tell you how I'm doing, Pastor. He said, he said this is on Sunday. He said, if these people wouldn't come in here with these church clothes where I know where they just came from, he said, it wouldn't be so bad. But he said, they come in here with their church clothes on, and I know they just came from church, and they come in here, and they're demanding, and they're rude, and they're unthankful. And he said, one party I just served, it was over a $100 bill, and he said, they didn't leave me even a dollar as a tip. So God, our testimony, our witness... We can wear the clothes, you can shout in this room, but when you get out there, it's what really matters. That's what, they're, they're out here is where it really matters. You can, play, you can play hypocrite in here, but out there, they see right through it. They know the difference. And there's people all the time that said, I, I just don't know if I can follow Jesus because there's so many hypocrites and people that have hurt me that say they're a Christian. You know, if you know you've hurt somebody, the Bible says go to them, apologize to them, make it right with them, sit down and talk with them. Usually it's not as bad as what your mind's telling you it is because the devil's magnified it, intensified it in your brain to where it's really worse than what it is. And there's some people say, I just can't come to church anymore because there, there are too many people that have hurt me. There are people that do not go, not just here, they're, they're, it's happened here. But there are people that do not go to church anymore. They love Jesus. They watch somebody else online or something else. Or they read and they pray. They love God as much as you do that's made the effort to be here today. But they've been hurt by Christians. And so the option is get hurt and withdraw and say all those things and then some. 
But you know what? That's exactly what the devil wants you to do in Copto to hinder you, to stop you in your forward progress, to set up a roadblock, an impasse to where you just stumble over it and you just can't get over it. And, and you encounter these hindrances trying to fulfill God's will in your life. You can either get hurt and withdraw, which is your first option, or you can do the number two option. You can decide, I'm going to shake this off. All that happened to Paul, he said, it's not going to stop me. He said, I've got a destiny in God. God's got a calling in my life. And I'm telling you, every one of you in this room or every one of you listening, you have a calling in your life. You have a destiny on your life. And it is not insignificant. It is very significant to the kingdom of God. People may not honor and recognize who you are, but the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit do. And you have to decide and declare and proclaim to shake it off and stand and fight for your destiny. I know what I'm talking about because I'm going through it personally right now. There's been attacks spiritually against my mind, against my, 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 everything that I am being attacked. And I know by the grace of God, I didn't create it. God established I have a destiny. God established that you have a destiny. That's why he allowed you to be born and birthed and living and breathing air on this planet earth. And for you to fulfill that destiny, you will if you shake it off. And I realize there's some things that are not easy to shake off. A death, a loss, a hurt. I realize they're, I realize they're not easy. I realize it's, it's not going to just take, you know, it's, it's a start today, a decision today. But it's going to take you walking in it. It's going to take you when those fiery darts from Satan come to you. You need to be here on Wednesday night to learn how to put your armor on and use your armor. I'm not just saying that as a sales pitch. We don't know how to use our armors while God's people are being taken out. And totally destroyed in the day and time we're living. There's an enemy. And he knows his time, his days are limited and he's doing everything he can. This world is berserk. But God is calling you and I to be a light and a witness and a strong voice for him in this time. Will you stand with me today? You shake it off. Now realize for some of you it's going to take you some shaking. That's what it said about Paul. That thing had so gotten a hold of him. He didn't want to let go. It had so gotten a hold of him. It had been around for a while. He couldn't get rid of it. He had to forcefully. That, that's what the Greek word means. He had to forcefully shake that thing. He had to get violent with it like it had gotten violent with it. He had to forcefully shake that thing until he shook it off and it went into the fire. That's what God wants you to do. Shake off whatever's hindered you, whatever's encoptoed against you. Shake it off. Shake it off this morning. Don't be embarrassed and don't be ashamed in the name of Jesus. This altar is open for people that you know the Holy Spirit spoken to you and said, you've got a hurt, you've got a wound, you've got an issue, you've got a situation, you've got something that's tried to steal from you, paralyze you, stop you, and you need to shake it off this morning in the name of Jesus. You need to be the first one to make a move to this altar. Irregardless, not thinking, Lord, what are they going to think about me? It doesn't matter what people think about you. It matters that you get free, that you take God at His word and His promise, and you can shake this thing off in Jesus' name and be victorious come on come on come on thank you thank you for being honest this morning God sees the honest. come on I know there's more people in here God's told me and I don't say this often I know I know God's told me to preach this message today 
the devil, and I'm not trying to magnify him, but he is out to get us. But thank God there is victory through Jesus Christ who loves us. There is victory. Shake it off. Shake it off. Shake it off. Uh, we sang something, man. We sang so much today. Yeah, we can do that. Do that. Okay. Yeah. Pastor Larry's going to lead us in this. You need to shake it off. <laughs>